so that you can ask any questions. Because sometimes it might be that I don't hit on something that needs to be hit on in the room, and you may just ask a question that will take us in a direction. So um, I'm not here to preach, I'm here to just share some of our experience of building a culture of courageous witness. I got saved 15 years ago in a prison cell. And when I met Jesus, I met Jesus. You know what I'm talking about. I, I met the risen Jesus. I knew who he was. I got forgiven of my sin. And from that day, I knew in my Noah that I was saved, right? There was no doubt that I was saved. But I hadn't yet been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And um, I want to read you a portion of scripture from Mark chapter 14. It's an odd portion of scripture to read to talk about what we're going to talk about. But hopefully you'll understand why as we get into this. So this is Mark chapter 14. And we're going to read from verse 22. I'll try and bring it up on the screen for you. So, what will you do after you've sung a hymn? That's what I want to ask. What will you do after you've sung a hymn? Because the church is very good at singing hymns. Or the latest worship songs. We're very good at our gatherings. I think we're at a point where our gatherings, as many churches, certainly not all, but many, are in a very strong place. We have a great gathered community in many locations and in many places. Evidence of that is that the church is growing, it's not shrinking. Yeah? But what we're not very good at is getting outside of our walls and actually doing something with what's invested in us when we're inside the walls. And that's what I want to talk about with you today. So this is verse 22. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take, eat, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. I always find this passage fascinating because we read it so often at our communion. We do communion every week at Victory Church. And quite often, whoever is leading the communion will refer back to this passage. And every time I hear it or read it, I'm reminded of that last little line where it says, they sung a hymn and they went out. There is something that the church has to do after we've gathered in a building. There is something that goes beyond our Sunday experience or whatever day we have our gathered experience. All of us, hopefully, are part of the gathered church. Hebrews tells us not to neglect the assembling of ourselves together, as some do. And that's a really, really valuable and good thing. But my concern here today is not so much on the gathered, it's on the scattered. And I believe that God is trying to raise up an army of scattered servants in the business world, in the arts, in schools, in colleges, in hospitals, in, in certainly in, in Christian ministry as well. But he is trying to scatter his church into every layer of society so that when we've sung our hymns, we'll go out and do something. I'm sorry if this is too simple for you, but evangelism is actually simple, okay? And all as evangelism really is, is us being a light life and a poured out sacrifice for the community of which we are a part. If you can say, I'm willing to be a light, I'm willing to bring life, I'm willing to speak hope, then I believe you have the potential to go and do something amazing in your community and in your world. There's a woman in our church, and um, a few years ago she came to our church and she was quite nervous about ever stepping out and doing anything outside of the church walls. It always fascinated me because she was so amazing at serving on the coffee shop. She was so faithful at setting up the chairs that you could see the servant heart that she had. And when she spoke about lost people, it seemed like she just came alive. But what she didn't have was that ability to understand how she could operate when she was separated from the gathered community. She hadn't yet understood what it is to be scattered into the world in which we live. 
she's a school teacher and um, she began to start a new post as an art teacher and throughout the time that kind of our paths have crossed in the last couple of years, three years I think it is, we, we took this kind of um, journey in helping people to understand that their vocation is their ministry and actually where God has them right now is their ministry because a lot of the time we're trying to get out of where God has got us into something that we think God may have for us when actually quite often God has us right where he wants us and he's trying to do something through us so this lady called Sean she's an art teacher she begins to understand and she begins to carry this burden in her heart that God may want to use her in the school that's anyone identify with that any teachers Wow, come on, there's some teachers in here, yeah? So, where does God want to use you and how does God want to use you? Because what I want to say to you today is, as much as I love communicating the gospel with words, the gospel is not only about words. It's about words, works, and wonders. I think Mike um, penned that in his book, didn't he? So I better use that. <laughs> Mike, if you're listening. <laughs> right? But here, they sung a hymn and then they went out. I think that most of us in this room, whatever our vocation is, a lot of us live like we go to church and then we kind of do our Christian bit and then we separate back into our normal, ordinary world. Maybe not all of us, but maybe some of us live like this. I know I have, right, at times. And actually then when we're in our work life, that's just our work life. And yeah, we're open to God, but we're not specifically listening for the leading of God. We're not specifically saying, Lord, would you use me today to invade this place? Would you use me in whatever capacity and way you want me to in this place today? And I think when we begin to do that, we get a glimpse of what Jesus was referring to when he took a cup, he gave thanks and they began to drink from it. What was he doing here? He was promoting unity. He was saying, there's something that you're gonna do beyond this. There's something that's gonna happen as a result of this. This is the gospel in a cup and a loaf of bread. That's what it is. So when you've got the gospel, then something else has to happen. This is not just, I got saved in a prison cell, now I'm gonna sing Kumbaya, play a guitar for the rest of my life and speak some nice sermons to some nice Christians. No, this gospel has been given me and in the same way, I must be poured out for this gospel because we're gonna have a time of singing hymns, we're gonna have times of prayer, but then we've gotta go out and do something. Would anyone agree with yes, me? Amen. In the okay, so. Notice that when they went out, and we'll focus on one character, Peter, here, he goes out, but they all go out and do different things, and they all follow Jesus from afar, and Jesus, of course, goes off and he's crucified, but Peter, we find him being warmed by a fire. Now, this is really, really important, because Peter was there, and just before, just as he denied Jesus, there was a fire that was external and there was a little servant girl there. You know the story, or you should do because you're at the Courageous Conference, right? And, and here, here is this little servant girl and she's like, you know him. You know that man. I've seen you with him. And what does Peter do? He denies he ever knew Jesus. Now we know the story, but the fact is here, there's a great symbol because Peter is standing there and he's warming himself by a fire. Always amazes me that the fire was outside of Peter. He'd had communion, he'd sung hymns, he'd been in the gathered location, but here he is without the fire of God in his heart, so he's not able to witness. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is given to empower us for witness. Our internal world and beliefs will manifest externally. Peter needed the fire inside of him. Okay, listen to this scripture. This is Acts 2.14. The coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost changed and empowered Peter to be a fearless witness. 
Peter was imprisoned for preaching in the temple courts in Acts 4 verse 3. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and boldly preached Christ to them in verse 8 to 12. He's seeing the courage of Peter, his persecutors concluded he has been with Jesus. Right? This is later on. This is now after Peter has the fire living inside of him. Back then when he faced the little girl, he was timid, he had no courage, he bowed to the pressure of the situation he was in, he was afraid that maybe he would uh, face persecution or even be crucified himself if he admitted he knew this man. Yet here, just a couple of moments later, a couple of chapters later, we read that this courage had got in his heart, this fire now lived within him, and now this is a bold man. This is a different man. This is someone who used to go to work and deny Jesus, but now he's in work confessing Jesus. Can you see this? And it all happened because the Holy Spirit got in his life. The believers resolved to honor Christ and they were empowered to speak the word boldly. We have a toolbox, words, works, and wonders. And what I want to say to you, I want to, this is where I want to focus a little bit. So all as I'm trying to establish here, and I know I'm going very fast, but I, don't, I know that most of you know this stuff, so I want to get to the real stuff. You need the Holy Spirit baptism to be an effective witness. Yeah. Don't even try it without the Holy Spirit because we will fail. We know that from Peter's example and from the fact that Jesus taught us, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. I believe that talks about every layer of culture, every layer of society. It doesn't just mean geographical locations. Every layer of every community with everyone being a witness, what would that look like? How would that reshape our communities? It would literally turn the tide on everything the enemy is trying to do, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah? So this is, this is the toolbox, words, works, and wonders. Let's just focus on these for a little bit. When would you use words in your witness and why? Here's one of my favourite passages of scripture, Romans 10. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on one who they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. When we think about words in our witness, it can be quite scary, can't it? I, I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the successes that we have had and that I have had and also some of the failures. One of the failures I had was yesterday on a coach. So my wife and I were coming down here and um, she was sitting next to me, she was sitting near the window. And uh, I told her to go to another seminar. She does actually like my preaching, but... <laughs> and uh, and um, so, so she was sitting next to the window, and I was sitting kind of in the aisle, and we're on this coach coming down to London. And to the left of me, on the other side, there was a young woman sitting there, and she was kind of messing about on her phone. She was watching things, and I couldn't help but overhear the conversation that she began to have with a gentleman on the phone. And all this, you know one of the moments where you're reading a book and you're like just, I can hear every word of this woman's conversation. And I was like, straight, I was like, straight away, Lord, are you trying to tell me something here? Is, has she just got a loud mouth? Or God, are you trying to speak to me to do something here? And uh, it turned out that this, this young lady, had, um, she'd lost her, I think it was her mom. And obviously this was, it's, it appeared that this was about a year ago. And ever since then she had been in turmoil and she was seeing psychics. And she began to delve into spirituality. And then I'm hearing this conversation unfold between her and this guy where she's kind of saying, yeah, you need to kind of search for your kind of um, answers and go to this psychic that I saw. And I'm thinking, oh Lord, I've got to say something here. I'm thinking, I, you know when you're just getting like righteously like, devil, what are you doing? I mean, this girl is wrapped up in knots. And you know, 
with everything that was going on, on on the coach and my wife was there and it was just, we were chatting and I just missed the moment. You know, I got back to the hotel last night and I was like, Lord, I missed the moment. I know I missed the moment. A moment when I could have just simply said to her, you've been searching for so many places for these answers. Please tell me about that. That's all it would have took. I've done that a hundred times before, yet yesterday, on the way to the Courage Conference, to come and speak to you about how to do it, (laughs) I miss the opportunity. What I want to say to you is, a missed opportunity does not mean that you're not called to it. It's just a missed opportunity. Don't let the devil make a missed opportunity into into what we into failure, right? Don't let the devil put the magnifying glass over a missed opportunity and make you feel insecure or inferior like you can never do it. And the moment the enemy started trying to do that, I said straight away, out loud out of my mouth to my wife, tomorrow morning I'm going to share that failure because it's just a failure. It doesn't mean I'm a failure. And I said the devil is not going to get the glory for that. And actually I believe God now will give me more opportunities to actually do that and reach into this situation because God is always for us and he's not against us. Do not allow anything to steal your courage, even a sense of failure from a missed opportunity. That girl, I may never see her again, and normally my kind of premise is this, with words. When I think about the gospel with words, I try and use the gospel with words in a situation where A, I've got the opportunity to give it, i.e. the door opens, so maybe an evangelistic event, or maybe we're going out to preach the gospel, or maybe someone directly asks me about my faith, then I will instantly use words and communicate the gospel. Yeah, we'll come on to works and wonders in a minute. But when I think about words, it's not always we go straight in with words. Sometimes it can be works. Other times it can be wonders. You've got a toolbox of three things. Words, works, and wonders. And in that opportunity, I would have normally said, I'm never gonna see this girl again. And I know that Romans tells me that if anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, and how will she hear without a preacher? So my scriptural basis is, if I'm never gonna see that person again, I'm gonna do my utmost to see the door open to communicate the gospel with words so that she can hear the gospel and at some point in her life, even if it's not there and then, she can call on the name of the Lord and she will be saved. Yeah? And that's how I like to think about words. Are you ever going to see that person again? If you're living next door to someone, the likelihood is you're going to live next door to them for a bit of time. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to get the biggest King James Bible you can find and knock on their door with the Bible and communicate the gospel in that way. There are many ways we can use works. Bake a cake, be generous, show our light before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's works. Works often open the door for words. But make no mistake, works alone is very rarely enough. We need to be in a place where we can communicate the good news simply and effectively. When I think about the culture that we've created at Victory Church, which really started with me as an evangelist, just on a Sunday, communicating the gospel. Marie's actually been to our church. We communicate the gospel so simply and so clearly, and actually we just calculated it last week. There's only been one Sunday in the last 78 weeks where someone didn't get saved, right? In the last 78 weeks, one Sunday. Now that isn't because we've got great preaching. It's not because we've got great worship. I hope we do have good preaching and I hope we do have good worship. But I know why it is. It is because we have created a culture that is always after the lost. Everything in our DNA, everything in the fabric of what we do is set up for those who don't yet know God. Everything in how we communicate, how we interpret the scripture, 
how we, how we throw out a rope called hope that they can catch a hold of and we make it so easy for them to connect with Jesus is set up so that they don't have to understand the whole of the Bible before they feel they can make that decision for Jesus. They don't feel like they're an outsider that needs to get on the inside before they can receive Jesus. They feel a part of what's going on straight away. And that's deliberate. It's intentional. It means every week we're coming against religious people. Can I say this? We're coming against religious people who think that the church is about them. It was never about you. It was always about Jesus and his glory and reaching a lost and broken world with the greatest news that has ever been told and ever will be told. And that is that 2,000 years ago, 2,000 miles away, Jesus Christ hung on a cross. He bled. He died. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He ascended back to heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit so that anyone, regardless of background, race, gender, whatever's going on in their life, whatever their history is, can be a part of his story. That's the gospel. And that is how we communicate it on a Sunday. Now you can do that. Any one of you can do that. It's amazingly simple, but it's simple that the world needs. Now I'm not saying that we don't need the XYZ. We do. When we get saved, we need the XYZ. We need to grow as followers of Jesus. But just because we don't preach the XYZ every Sunday morning doesn't mean we don't know it. It just means that we know that it's the ABC that connects people with Jesus. That's what gets people started on the journey. What's the most important thing that we can have in our lives? That feeling of being sealed by the Holy Spirit, being washed of our sin. Remember the moment when you knew that you'd been forgiven of all your sin. What was it like? Throw some words out to me. Wonderful. Amazing. Amazing. Relief. Relief. (laughs) Yeah, it was for me as well. Relief. (laughs) Anyone else? Hope filled. Hope Anyone else? Surprise. It was what? Surprise. Surprise. Yeah. All of those feelings and emotions, they contribute to the culture. So just think about this in really simple terms with me now. If you're creating a culture of evangelism, a culture where people are going to get saved in a gathered environment, whether that's a small group, whether it's a church service, whether it's a group of work that you begin or start, if you're creating something that is outward focused and you fill that with stories of people who are hope-filled, they're just, man, I've just been forgiven. And you've continually got that going through. What's going to happen to the culture? It's not going to be dry. I promise you that. It's not going to be boring. When you begin to worship, you won't have to stir people up. I promise you that. Because they're already stirred up because they've just been saved. They've been forgiven of their sin. They don't need a worship leader to stand up and say, come on everyone, let's worship. Because they're just worshipping Jesus. They're lost in Him. You remember when you first got saved, how lost you were in Him? You didn't care about anyone, did you, Sebastian? You were just like, man. You still don't do it. <laughs> but then we get a little bit down the road and we begin to learn the XYZ, which we need, by the way. Yeah. But that then becomes the precedent and we lose our edge for evangelism. Words. So when we think about words, really we're thinking about how do we communicate the gospel clearly? and effectively. So some of the things we've done, we've taught every person or we've tried to teach every person in the church how to give their testimony. And we do it very simply. Everyone has a testimony, not just the drug addicts. We've got a lot of ex-drug addicts in our church, a lot of people who have been in prison, but we've also got a whole load of other people who actually have never had that background, who for quite some time felt kind of a little bit sidelined because all this focus was on reaching the lost, reaching the most broken. So what we did, we began to teach everyone how to give their testimony. So it's not just the testimony of what you've been saved from, it's how you've been kept from. Some people have got an amazing testimony because they never went down the path I went down as a prodigal, they were an elder brother. You know what I'm saying there? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, So here we are, and we just teach people very simply, and this may be something that you want to think about 
for your own life, I'm sure you already have, or for your church, your workplace, whatever, um, before Christ. What was your life like before Christ? And try and describe that in one minute. Just one minute. You could even do it in 30 seconds, but one minute is a good length of time. DC. What happened when you converted to Christ? Join your conversion. What did it feel like? Use descriptive language. What did it feel like on the inside? What was going on in that moment? Every one of us hopefully can remember that moment when we were born again. I don't mean when you joined the church, I mean when you were born again. Because as a lot of preachers have said in the past, you don't turn into a car by being in a garage and you don't turn into a hamburger by being in McDonald's. This is about being changed on the inside. And there are millions of people out there who need to be changed on the inside. They need to be a partaker in the divine nature. They need to know that by grace they have been saved through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. They need to know all of the XYZ scriptures that we know, but they need it in a simple way that is just translated through your experience of what that meant for you. DC. And then AC, after conversion. You know, so many people focus on the past, don't they? And then we never, and then it's like, oh, you became a Christian and then you became boring then. Nothing ever happens now. Spend a minute in your testimony communicating what happens in your life now. Like yesterday when I failed on the train. But two weeks ago, I was in Nando's and I led the cashier to Christ. Wow. On the till. <laughs> with three people behind me. Did you get a discount? I didn't get a discount, no. But she came to Christ there and then. Nando stopped for a minute because eternity invaded that place. See, the success and the failure. And never be afraid of failure because at least you had a go. Yes. Yeah. Yeah? yeah? At least you had a go. What, what's the worst that someone can say when you say, can I pray for you? No. <laughs> Let's imagine they give you a slap. It's just a slap. <laughs> but they're not gunning. You know, I, I can't remember a single time, this is genuinely now, when I have offered prayer to someone and they've said no. I genuinely cannot remember a single time. I don't mean Christians, I mean non-Christians. I've had more Christians say no than non-Christians. <laughs> Right. But seriously, I can't remember a time when someone on the streets or someone, you know, when I worked in a secular job a few years ago as a drug worker, I can't remember when someone in the office said no to prayer. I really can't. Now, obviously, we've got to be sensitive. And this is where it comes in, I believe. And this is really important. I believe we have to be really careful about how we do this in our world and in our culture. I don't think it's as easy as just saying, just start praying for everyone. I don't think we should just go bashing everyone with the gospel, with words. Now I'm an evangelist and I'm trying to say to you, actually we need to use words, but I actually really do believe that we should do it when the door opens. But I think a lot of people use that as a cop-out. Because I think a lot of people are constantly saying, well, Lord, if you open the door, I'll do it. But they're never, they're never like pushing the door a little bit. They're never kind of just seeing if the door's open. They're never there saying, truly, Holy Spirit, would you open doors for me today? Would you take me to the right room in my business today where that people, person needs hope? You see, Jesus is very good at opening doors that no man can shut. He's very good at that. He's been doing it for all eternity. And actually, he is way better at it than us. So if we're going to build a culture where everyone is a witness, we certainly don't want to be these weird people who are just always bashing people with a Bible. We don't want to be that. The world is turned off by that. Culture is turned off by that. What they need is something that fills them with hope, life, and love. If you look at our culture now, Christians have been made out 
to be these dogmatic people with rules and regulations for everything. And if the world doesn't conform, then we don't want anything to do with them. That's how we've been made out in, our, in the media, through TV, through film, through the arts. You only have to look at the LGBT debates and agenda that's going on right now, and you can see how we've been twisted from people of love to people of judgment. So we've got to use that tool and we've got to reverse it back on the enemy and we've got to actually come at it from a different stance, a different angle and we've got to do what Jesus tells us to do. You know the times when I try and do it myself, it always goes wrong. But when I do what he tells me to do, the results are astounding. It was in a... um, he was saying a little while ago, just before the session, we were in the Philippines a few weeks ago, and um, amazing turn of events. We ended up um, in a police station, which was pretty amazing in itself. We got taken down into the cells. I communicated the gospel with these guys, and all of them received Christ there and then. They wept their way to Christ, and then they began to worship Jesus in the Philippines. But God led us there. We didn't just start knocking on the door and saying, can we come and communicate the gospel? The Lord led us there. And what I want to encourage you to do is not be freaked out by being a witness. And I know that many of you are not, because you always get the evangelistic people to seminars like this. The ones we really want are in the other room. (laughs) I'm joking. But as we are using our words, know how to share your testimony. Know how to share the gospel very succinctly, very quickly. You don't have to do it like me. You have to do it like you. But you have to take the truth of scripture and apply it. So mine is always 2,000 years ago, 2,000 miles away. Jesus died on a cross. Right? It's just simple. It's easy for people to connect with. It's getting the raw truth that Jesus shed his blood, that Jesus, his body was hung on a cross for us, into a succinct way that communicates it to the world. Yeah? Now there's so much more to the gospel than that, you know that, but these are the simple truths that people need to know to make that first step. And that's what I'm talking about, because once they, they make that first step, then you can go on a journey with them in taking the rest of the steps. James, who was at the Malaga conference? Was anyone at the Malaga conference? You remember I showed you that picture of um, James? Do you remember? So there was this at the Malaga church planting conference that you guys did. I showed everyone a picture of a guy called James, and at that time he'd been saved for uh, just a few months. He was in our rehab home, and um, you know he had this remarkable moment where he was living outside Boots, the chemist, in Royal Leamington Spa. The council sent him a letter to the streets. <laughs> you work this one out <laughs> to evict him from the step. Right. So that's what the world is doing. So the devil, what's he trying to do? Steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus is trying to bring life in all of its fullness. So James ended up getting a knock on his invisible door from my friend Calvin, who is a bit like me, an evangelist. And um, James is there with his hood over his head, on the steps, freezing cold, pulls his hood back over his head and there's my friend Calvin standing over him looking down at him like this and he said you need some hope mate and he began to share the gospel with him and James made a decision to follow Jesus and within a couple of days was in one of our rehab homes we have rehabilitation homes for people with drug and alcohol addictions so from that moment on the street now James is there so then he begins his journey and He begins to do very well, very quickly, because now he's taken the first step, we can go on a journey with him. That's discipleship, isn't it? Discipleship is so important. Then he he kind of gets to the point last September, when the conference was, I think, he was just about to start, or he had just started Bible college. Yesterday, he graduated his first year in Bible college. Now that started, with someone listening to God, going to Boots the Step, seeing this guy, 
and simply saying, communicating the gospel in a simple way that he could understand. He didn't need all of the religious dogma that we so often bring to the party. He just needed hope. At that point, he needed a warm drink. He needed the gospel. As William Booth used to say, if you're going to give someone a sandwich, put a tract in the middle. <laughs> right? And that brings me on to works. Yeah? In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So often we're focused either on words or works, but the two have to work together. Words go with works. When you give someone a sandwich, or when you buy someone a meal, or when, like my wife did recently, she paid for someone shopping, that opens the door by the words of God to be spoken into their lives. Let me tell you this story. Let me tell you this story, because this is a great story. We were in a restaurant um, a little over a year ago now, and we were sitting having a nice meal, my wife and I, and we were really loving the time, it was great. And all of a sudden, I felt the Holy Spirit just stirring in my heart. You know what I mean by that? Yeah? Sometimes we say, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. We don't necessarily mean an audible voice. There's an impression, there's a feeling, there's something we just know is going on inside of us. And it was almost like I heard, turn around. So I'm looking at my wife, and you know, any of you gents in here know that when you're in a conversation with your, with your wife, the last thing you want to do is kind of like look away as if you're just not. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I turn around, and... I'm immediately drawn to this family of four. It's two little kids, mom and a dad. Turn back, we carried on our conversation, and inside of me, this is going on. What, what was that about? What was that about? And then it came, pay for their meal. Right, now, let me tell you, Clyde is not a very generous person. <laughs> In the flesh, I'm not a very generous person, right? But in the spirit, I want to do what God tells me to do. And this is the case with a lot of us. Clyde could have done without paying for that meal. But the Holy Spirit wanted us to pay for that meal. Right? So the battle between the flesh and the spirit, between do it and don't do it. Some of you have been in that position before. You feel something. You know, kind of, you're like, is that God? Is that God? How do I know that's God? Because Clyde doesn't think, let's pay for their meal. I'm thinking about how I'm going to pay for my own meal. Right? So, so in that moment, I said to my wife, I said, we've got, to, we've got to bless them. We've got to pay for their meal. And she said, okay. And we're having this discussion and we're kind of like, okay, let's, let's do it, let's pay for the meal. And the gentleman gets up from the table, goes to the till, he's in the queue, and I'm like, oh, it's too late, he's, he's gone to pay. So I said, I'm gonna go pay for ours anyway. Got up, I was behind him in the queue, his card declined. So I'm there behind him in the queue, and I said, Excuse me, sir. I said, I don't want to embarrass you. I said, but even before I was in this queue, Jesus, who I met 15 years ago in a prison cell, and then he looked a bit freaked out. I said, I didn't <laughs> physically meet him, but he changed my life. So I'm giving him my testimony. See what I'm doing? Straight into story. Straight into story. The door's already open. God's on this, right? How do I know? Because his cards just declined. Yes. So I'm there and I'm sharing my story and I said, you're going to think this is weird. I said, but God told me to pay for your bill before you even put that card in the machine. And I'm really sorry that I didn't listen quick enough because you've just had that moment that God didn't want you to have. Open the door, he began to well up and cry. His wife came over and both of them received prayer right there and then in the middle of the restaurant. I paid their bill and we went on our way the glory of God. That is what happens when we create a culture to witness. I can't go pay for everyone's meal, neither can you. You're not called to, but you are called to do what he tells you to do. You see, poverty, Jesus said you'll always have the poor with you, didn't he? There's always going to be another person to help. 
And we can get what we call compassion fatigue syndrome if we're not careful, where there's so many people to help, we feel overwhelmed, we just can't deal with it anymore. And this is why it's so important that we just do what he tells us to do. If I could say one thing to you today, it would be wake up every morning and say, Holy Spirit, I want to be a witness for you today. I want to be a witness wherever I am, when I'm at work, when I'm at college, when I'm in the school, when I'm in business, whatever it is, when I'm in church, Lord, let me reach some Christians who think they're Christians and they're not. Lord, would you just use me today and put me in the right place to use words or works or finally to use Wonders. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 10. As you go, proclaim the message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Words, works and wonders is a toolbox. Words, works and wonders are at our disposal as witnesses. And what I want to share with you today is... Just to bring this kind of to land, and then we'll have some questions and maybe pray for people. Um, words, works, and wonders, probably what happens is we fit into different categories. And if we were to stand up now and I was to say, everyone who likes using words, go over there. Everyone who likes using works, go over there. And everyone who likes using wonders, go over there. We'd probably split up into different corners. Can we reverse that thinking? And can we begin to understand that actually these three tools, none of them are better than any other? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not better to use wonders when God is calling you to use words. Yeah. Then people are going to blow up. It's not better to use works when you should be using wonders. Mm-hmm. See this? These are tools that God wants us all to be trained in, discipled in, growing so that we can use them in those moments. So like in that restaurant that day, you could call that a little bit of a wonder. The Holy Spirit speaks and you know we step up and pray. On the train yesterday, clearly that was a words moment that I missed. In Nando's, that was a words moment. But with my neighbor who bakes me cakes, and she's 82 and she doesn't yet know the Lord, me taking the box back that she made the cake in and doing what I said I would do meant the world to her she baked me a cake lemon drizzle cake she's 82 right I took the box that she made it in back and she said I make these cakes for people all the time no one ever gives me the box back it's just to me it was the most basic thing to do right works I said okay you know I come back a week later she is outside 82 years old this wood delivery guy for the wood burning stove had dropped this massive pile of wood outside the front of her house she has got her rubbish bin and she's filling it with wood 82 lifting big logs putting them in trailing it through to the back of her house where she stores it in the garden I said let me do that for you she begins to cry She says, I do this all the time, three times a year. I can hardly do it anymore. No one ever offers to help me. Conversation begins to open. Why do you do it? I'm a Christian. It's what we do. We love one another. I said, anytime you've got wood, you knock my door, I'll come move it in for you. Words, works, and wonders. This is what we've discovered in our church. We've got people in our church who are naturally really good at praying for people. When they pray for people, heaven moves. A guy called Anthony who goes into our rehab home, he's really great part of our church. And uh, the other day he went into the rehab home, it was Wednesday morning, the lads were feeling a little bit discouraged. And uh, Anthony, an hour later, comes into the church, rocks into my office. He's like, you will not believe what just happened. I said, what happened? He said, I've just gone in there, all of them are flat out on their face in the front room. They've all been zapped by the Holy Spirit. He's just a Holy Spirit man, right? So I'm like trying to bring him back down to earth. Okay, you know they've got a program that goes on day to day. (laughs) They're not actually meant to be zapped. (laughs) It's, It's wonders. 
And you know what happens? When I get around Anthony and when I begin to see how he does it and when I spend time with Anthony and I watch how he prays for people, man, it rubs off on me. But you know what my natural inclination is? My natural inclination is to hang around with people who use words. It's to hang around with people like me. Yeah? But I have to push the boat out and I have to get around people like Anthony. Because ever since I've got around people like Anthony, when I, when I pray for people, more stuff happens. I don't understand it. I don't get it. Really. But it's just getting around the right people. And then works. This lady, Sean, who I told you about earlier, I don't know you were thinking, why hasn't he finished the story? Well, it's because I wanted to wait until the end to tell you about the works that she's doing in school and how it's opening a door for her. So she begins a couple of years ago to just do good works in the school. She would bake cakes for the teachers. She would just do good things for kids who were being bullied. And all of a sudden, she goes from this part-time position to this promotion where the head teacher says, I've seen how you treat the kids who are on the outskirts. We want to make you the rep for those kids. So she gets this promotion. And then God begins to stir her heart. And she comes to me about a year ago and she says, I think God is calling us to start a pupil referral unit, which is a, a school for kids who have been excluded. And I said, that's amazing because God spoke to us about that two years ago. So hopefully this September, we may be starting a pupil referral unit for excluded kids who have been kicked out of school. And it all started with her getting a passion for evangelizing the workplace, for being a blessing with, one, with, work, with works in her workplace. She used to say to me, I can't share the gospel with the teachers. I can't share the gospel with the kids. There's too much red tape. I said, you can be a light in that place. You can do something different to what the other staff do. You can be an example and the door will open. Do you know what? She has introduced a few kids to our youth group now that probably never ever would have come to church had it not been for her stepping out and baking a few cakes. Never ever think that evangelism is for someone else. Everyone a witness is about you using what you have to communicate the gospel with someone else. For some of you, that's works. Let me challenge you. Get around some people who do it with words and let them catch your works so you can catch their words. Let me challenge those of you who can do it with wonders. Get around some people with words because, man, their words need some of that power. Mm. And your word, wonders need some of their words. Because when a wonder happens, it needs to be explained. Amen. This Sunday morning, I'll finish with this and I'll have some questions. Um, this Sunday morning, we had a Holy Spirit morning in church. We were trying to get everyone baptized in the Holy Spirit because quite a few people have joined the church in the last little while. And um, lots of them haven't yet been filled with the Spirit. So we put this email out in the week. We're going to be praying for the Holy Spirit. So come ready, come hungry. And man, it all kicked off. I mean, big time. Within a moment of me finishing the sermon, a guy at the back began to just speak in tongues. He was filled with the Spirit. He hit the deck right where he was. This other guy walks forward, this African guy. He manifests a demon. It's screaming. It's kicking all over the place. I'm like, oh my goodness, it's all going off in here. I was like, we've got non-Christians in here. We've got everything. It's all going off. Like, anyway, it all happened. It was, it was amazing. God really moved. But you know what those wonders needed? They needed to be explained. They needed to be explained. Because in that room, there was a couple who got saved five weeks ago. I've been meeting with the boyfriend for five weeks who has now moved out of his girlfriend's house because they were living together in five weeks of getting saved. And has asked me if I'll do their wedding in August. Yeah. Right, because he's so convicted that 
being in a relationship with a woman sexually before marriage is wrong. And he's like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I need to move out because the temptation's too great, but I can't dishonor God because I, I made a commitment to Jesus. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. After Sunday morning, he messages me. He's freaked out. He said, what on earth was going on? He needed it explained. You see, the simple gospel needs explanation. We were able to do that with words. I've gone a little bit longer than I wanted, so I do apologize, but hopefully some of that's helpful. Is some of that helpful? I don't know. I've kind of just shared some experiences. Is there any questions? You said that you've managed to get evangelism into the culture, the DNA of yes. the church, which is absolutely fantastic. I think probably most churches represented here wouldn't be able to say that honestly, but that's in the DNA. Mm. Can you tell us a little bit more about your church, how that's happened, yeah. how big is your church? Yeah, <coughs> tell us a little bit yeah. so um, so our church is, uh, it was planted seven years ago or eight years ago, and I came to our church five years ago, and the guy who started the church had a moral failure, so I took over. Um, at a situation where the church was growing very fast. Um, there was probably, it had grown from a handful of people to 350 people in a, three years of its first growth. Um, and then this moral failure happened with the previous leader, which was a really difficult time, and it dropped down to about 120 people. And for two years, we were just regathering and trying to work this out and trying to give people a sense of safety and security and building some good structures into the life of the church. But all the way along, because my primary gift in his evangelism, that was always on the table. So what I would say to you is somehow, you know, Ephesians 4.11 talks about the ministry giftings. You know, we often talk about, I think the majority of churches in the UK, certainly in our network, which is Elim, are led by pastor teachers. Um, and that creates a fundamental problem. First of all, it's not built on team. And secondly, it's very introspective. So it's not that we don't need pastor teachers, we absolutely do. 100% we need them as much as evangelists but let's stop outsourcing evangelism and let's get evangelism at the center and heart of the church yeah so everything um, everything that we do has to be geared to that so we have to find the people within the church who are evangelistic and not make it just this little group of evangelists. Like we, we used to do things like go out on the streets you came out on the streets with us when we went and we used to do that a lot um, and what I realized was happening was we had a group who were on fire and doing it, but the rest of the church then felt that it was their job to do it and not theirs. Mm, yeah. So what we did is we restructured our small groups into more of a missional group structure. So every group now has a mission of its own. So some of those are based on words, works, or wonders. We don't use that language, but it's the same thing. And, um, and those groups now all have a mission which then allows everyone to get involved in a sense of mission so some of those groups are centered around uh, work types or geographical locations or age ranges but we're really really um, intentional about working with the small group leaders to ensure that those groups are doing some kind of meaningful mission um, and then on a Sunday we always preach the gospel Every sermon is gospel. Mm. Um, now, that doesn't mean we don't teach. We do. We've, we went through the book of Romans. We've done the book of Acts. We've done the book of John. You know, we do uh, topical sermons and series. But we always ensure that the gospel is paramount yeah. in that. So we could be teaching on money, for example. We did a series on um, money recently. And every single one of them sermons came back to the sacrifice, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. So we're always bringing that into it, not just as a token add-on. So it's not just like quickly get the gospel in there, but it's threaded through everything. Our songs, um, we try as much as possible to think about the theology in the songs and ensure that they're focused on gospel truths as well rather than just lovey-dovey stuff as much as possible. Um, we try and focus on get, getting, the, getting the core elements of the gospel through to people um, in everything we do. So, like, I mean, like Mike was with us recently, came down a couple of weeks ago, um, 
amazing, such a blessing to us, you know, apostolic heart, right? So how do we bring the apostolic in? We believe we're an apostolic body, right? We're on a mission. But we bring people in to bring things that we don't necessarily have, you know, and that's really important. But then we know what we do have and we maximize that. So is that kind of helpful? Yeah. The other thing we did is we're open seven days a week. And I appreciate that that's not the easiest thing to do. Um, and it, it's a logistical nightmare sometimes, I've got to be honest. Uh, but we are open and we made that commitment. We made a commitment that we are going to be a church that's open every day. Because our conviction, our core conviction, is that church is not just Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. So we're constantly reinforcing to our church, church is a place where you bring your lost friends mm -hmm. and they will receive the gospel. So we have people saying to us, and it's amazing this is, I find this so funny, but we have people who are really solid Christians in great churches and they bring their non-Christian friends to victory so they can get saved and then they take them back to their churches. <laughs> because their churches are better at discipling people. I know why it is, right? I'm not ignorant, you know, we're good at what we're good at. We're trying to now grow in the parts that you're good at, if I'm honest, right? So we all have something that we bring to the table, don't we? So our culture is constantly evangelistic. Every day, every moment, the reason we've got a soft place center in the church is not just so kids can have their parties there, it's because we know that by being the best provider of kids' parties in Cumbran, we're gonna, we're gonna connect with every child practically in Cumbran. And then through a series of um, outreaches and campaigns, we'll begin to reach those children, which is gonna raise up the next generation. Mm -hmm. We bus kids in on a Wednesday from a, from a deprived area called Thornhill. Why do we do that? Certainly not because we want to rack up more miles on the minibus, it's falling apart. <laughs> but it's because if we can reach those kids, we can reach their families. So everything is, we, 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 we just are wired that way. And I think it's, it's a transition to wire that way, but it's doable, you know? And it's keeping it simple and letting people know that actually why, you know, why do you have a Sunday morning? For us, it's to bring glory to God and to bring hope to people. So if we're going to bring glory to God, we need to gather, we need to worship, we need to hear preaching, teaching, we need to take communion, prayer, all that stuff. But if we're going to bring hope to people, then we've got to get some lost people in the building. Because they're the ones that need hope. Yeah. So, okay. So um, you mentioned in your story that, okay, you say you would focus on the Sunday on the ABC because that's yeah. the important bit to get the people in. You also said we, we do need the XYZ, so how do you accommodate for that? We have, um, we have Victory Academy, which is um, a, one Saturday a month. So we do theology and leadership, join Victory Academy, so that's the XYZ. We also have um, courses that go on during the week uh, where we teach, and we have missional groups as well. So yeah, there is a pathway to deeper. Um, and our Sunday mornings are not shallow. I mean, you've been. There is it's strong teaching. It's good teaching. But it's, it's gospel-focused and gospel-centered. See, I think a lot of Christians still buy into this idea that the gospel service is like Sunday night. I hate that language. I've got to be honest. It, it just... I, I don't know any service that isn't a gospel service. Like... Are we saying that we don't need the gospel? I need the gospel as much today as I needed it back then. Yeah. I've been saved, but I'm being saved, and one day I'm going to be saved, right? I will be saved. Three is Paul's theology, you know? And we could break that down so much more, but if I've been saved, there was a moment when I needed the gospel, but then most Christians live there, and then they're like, well, we'll have the gospel service, but, you know, the non-Christians and, you know, those new Christians, they can turn up to that. We'll go to the deeper Bible studies. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's creating a culture that teaches Christians that they don't need the gospel anymore. We've lost the gospel in most churches. Yeah. So we have great teaching, we have great life application, wonderful principles, which we need. 
But when was the last time that you just heard raw gospel and people got saved? Now I know from speaking to lots of saints like this that most churches, that's not their experience. But you've got to make it your experience. You've got to go for it. You've got to set everything up as if that's going to happen. So every Sunday morning in our early morning prayer, we set it up as if it's going to happen. We're praying for souls to get saved. You've been in our early morning prayer meetings. Mm. We're praying for souls to get saved. We're already thanking God that when they do get saved, they're going to get connected in with the life of the church. Mm. <clears throat> so we're setting ourselves up for success. Yeah. We need to. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Do you want to pray for us? Yeah, let's pray. Let's stand, shall we? <laughs> Why don't you just put your hand on your neighbour? <laughs> And let's just ask. Oh God, thank you, Jesus. Would you pray this prayer with me, dear Lord Jesus? Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you. I come to you. Needing. Needing. To be empowered. To be empowered. For witness. For witness. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Fall afresh. On my life. This I pray. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. And now, Holy Spirit, would you just fill? Every person in this room, would you overflow them? Would you overflow their cup? Would you just move up every aisle right now? And would you baptize us afresh with your spirit in Jesus' name? Lord, we know that you told us to ask and we will receive. You told us to seek and we will find. Knock and it will be open. So we receive today. Lord, there's going to be remarkable differences in our words, words, and one yes, as we go from this place. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Guys, thank you so much for listening. God bless you.